Guten Tag, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Daily Marketer. I'm going to keep this short. This is our part two conversation with Bill Kong, the CMO of Rover, which is the world's largest marketplace for pet services like walks, boarding, daycare, grooming, and more. Bill is the fucking man. Please enjoy this chat. What's a way that a company, or let's just take a, a startup that can build trust, that can be a bit of an enigmatic concept? Well, I think uh, offer something free mm-hmm. and having the customer to try it, to test it out, so that they actually experience that product or service. Um, that's always is a good way to do it. Um, and then use you know the B2B world as example, uh, I know there's a lot of uh, coaching program. What they have done a great job to establish a trust is they get you into the funnel, then they show you a 30 minutes to 45 minutes webinar because it is not just a you know one-page article or things like that. When you watch 30 minutes high-quality content for free, um, you're kind of bought into their concept, their framework. And then they can continue to build a relationship with you. And finally, they send an offer to you for a much more expensive purchase. So I think the key is you got to demonstrate the value add to the consumer so they know that they're getting something valuable. And being a startup, initially, you got to think about having the uh, consumer to actually try your product before they they pay you. Or the alternative here will be 30-day money back guarantee so therefore that uh, you have no uh, risk to doing that so for example i has been experimenting with uh, a, a wordpress um uh plugin mm-hmm. right and they have a monthly subscription of 20 dollars per month that's 23 dollars a year um, but for me that's risky but they said they have a 30 dollar a 30-day money back guarantee so i give them my credit card number I make a purchase, but I know I can try this for 30 days. I can get my money back. Um, I think that's powerful. I think the other example has been, uh, do you know this company called uh, ClickFunnel? Super controversial company Mm. in the affiliate space. No, I haven't heard of it. Can you describe it? Yeah, so ClickFunnel is started by an entrepreneur. It's similar to, say, Unbounce or Instant Page. Mm -hmm. Uh, Essentially, is a... Landing page builder. Landing page builder, uh, testing platform. But also they had a essentially website building capability on top of being a uh, landing page builder. Um, same thing uh, is $99 per month subscription, but they give you 14 days to try out the functionality and, uh, and then you can cancel within the 14 days. And they also actually have a tie into a large affiliate base. Um, they, they, they pay very generously to their affiliate. So it will enable them to grow their business uh, very quickly. Is that where it's controversial that it ties to an affiliate base? Uh, I think there is. Uh, I think they are probably overly sales-ish, okay. and uh, uh, and also because I think they pay 
not just on the initial transaction, but you actually, they also pay on the subsequent uh, recurring booking as well. I think they're very aggressive from affiliate perspective. So if you search for their name, the Google is, is full of affiliate reviews. So it's getting mm-hmm. kind of overly okay. aggressive, but uh, I do think their, their marketing tactic was highly effective to scale their business. Yeah, that's really smart. I, I never even thought of that. And if they have so many people coming to their site to, 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 to build a landing page, they, they just, you know, it's, it's like great merchandising, upselling. Well, the, probably the next thing you're, you're asking yourself is, how do I grow this? And so then they provide that answer. Yeah, and you know the other thing is they made this amazing tagline um, called "You're only one funnel away." <laughs> so uh, obviously, we work in yeah. marketing. We know, we know there's never as imp- simple as that. But uh, they have that, and then they use that to tailor to entrepreneurs. Say, hey, look, join us using this tool. This is our training program. You're only one funnel away from getting to where you need to go. All you yeah. need is figure out this one funnel. I thought that was a uh, there's some overpromise there, but it is a very effective way of position, positioning uh, their value proposition. Yeah, and marketing funnels are they're fun. Yes. Yeah. So it's a uh, you know, come we'll figure out this this opportunity and and then you're going to end up getting customers, so everyone wins in that way. Exactly. So so intergrowth to your marketing. These before this, you and I were talking about. Uh, you think the marketing profession is going through some major changes and disruptions. Paint some color around what you mean there. Yeah, I think there's a, a, a couple of uh, dimension here. I think the first uh, dimension, uh, as you know, I think the average tenure for CMO is uh, the lowest uh, in history. And also, how long uh, is, is that? Is, 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 I think it was uh, 43 months. I think that's what I most recently, it's about three and a half years, I guess. Um, I think the McKinsey and some of the uh, exec- executive search uh, forms have published those statistics uh, pretty frequently. Um, secondly, uh, is uh, their turnover is uh, the most frequent compared to all other, you know, uh, executive job titles. Um, I think what's happened there is we're going through a shift. Uh, uh, traditionally, we are brand marketing. Then we have performance marketing. And then now we have data analytics. So uh, in many marketing organizations, you have this kind of a conflict between people who are more into the brand versus the performance marketer. I think what uh, where we're shifting into is what I call a CMO or marketing work uh, 2.0. That means you need a team of uh, data scientists, technologists, and artists all work together. You need to have a cohesive uh, framework for that team to work together. And you need to have the organizational culture and leadership so that the people of those different diverse talent, they can understand each other and collaborate and work with each other. Uh, Because you need all of those things uh, to succeed in today's world. And that's hard because you might have two out of three skill sets and uh, uh, but you don't have all of those things. So how do you complement your different skill set in the team and help people to talk to each other? I think it's a, it's a big challenge uh, from that perspective. Then there's another component here. If you think about what's happened last few years is uh, we are probably a little bit over-indexed on um, uh, venture capital funded 
high growth uh, unicorns, right? Think about Uber, Airbnb, and other companies, which is let, let's let's spend money to acquire customers. And there's an LTV model, but we might not make money until three, four years down the road. I think with COVID-19 and with the downturn in economy, I think we're coming back to the world uh, that profitable growth is going to be the name of the game for the next few years. And that's, I think, is a mindset shift for an entire generation of marketers in the last few years who hasn't been through downturns such as the 2008 financial crisis and the 2000 uh, dot-com crash. So that's another transition I think we're going through right now as we're speaking. And, and tying that back to, to what made you d- dive into this topic, you mentioned the 43-month uh, per, per job or, or company experience of a typical CMO. So, so are you saying that the, the short, that relatively short time span is because maybe a CMO doesn't understand that, that the, the marketers that work underneath them need to be a data scientist, a technologist, and an artist all wrapped into one, or they themselves are not that either? I think it's multiple things. I think some CMO are struggling because they don't understand or and or appreciate it this multiple discipline approach for marketing. That's mm-hmm. one. But secondly is who they are reporting to. Let's say the CEO, the COO, and the board of director or the investor, um, they are struggling to understand and figure out you know, what exactly CMO should be doing, how their team should be organized, and what skills are needed, and what they should be doing. Because the industry is going through so much shift and evolution right now. So I think all those combination reasons result in, you know, a board or a CEO might just lose their patience, which they let go of their CMO, or a CMO struggles so much they end up leaving their organization. So I think it's a combination of those uh, factors. Yeah, well, there's there's a much growing pain going on in, in the evolution of of the role and the expectation of what it means to be a successful C- CMO for a company. Yeah, and if you read some articles, there's also people saying, oh, the role of CMO uh, shouldn't be around anymore. Uh, it, it's dead, right? Or it doesn't exist. Um, so that's why in some companies, uh, for example, Coke, uh, it's Pipe C or Coca-Cola, they changing the name of the job title to Chief Growth Officer mm-hmm. instead of CMO. But I think about six months ago or a year ago, they changing that back to CMO again. So... Mm. Companies, uh, personally, I don't think changing the job title solved the fundamental problem here. The fundamental problem is we need to recognize uh, there's a paradigm shift uh, for how marketing should be done in this digital-first world and what kind of skill set are needed. And therefore, that's how we should think about staffing the marketing team and determining the measurements and the goals and the metrics for the marketing department. So, so, so if I'm a if I'm a startup and and I have my marketing team, maybe it's only two, three, or even one person. How do I make sure that they have that data data science skill, that they are a technologist, as in they're able to understand internet marketing, and finally that they're creative? Is this something that I should seek out in, in the hiring of people, or should I be developing the skills for them somehow and getting them training and education in, in these three? 
Yeah, I think um, the first is, I think you want to be more intentional and deliberate. You want to look for people who are uh, cross-functional and they have done or familiar with at least two out of the three areas because those are people who at least give you two set, two skill set versus one. Um, that's one. And two, those people are self-aware enough of what they know and what they do know so that you can actually hire additional people to supplement or complement their skill set. So that's how I think about it. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's the, but I, for startups, I tend to prefer to start with more of a performance marketer first before I hire into the branding side. Eventually you need both, but I think in early stage, uh, the money is short and uh, you want to be able to see results and returns on your uh, investment before mm. you spend money on areas that are harder to uh, measure, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what a, you know, I think this, this goes, this ties nicely into uh, hiring and, and company culture. Uh, it, it sounds, if, if, it's, if a startup is, is very young, you have to hire, you, you use the word deliberately. Uh, why, do you, why is that important uh, for, for a young startup? Uh, well, I think that uh, the cost of hiring the wrong person is high, right? Because startup, uh, your resource is limited and you want to rapidly test and start seeing uh, results. And if you make the wrong hire and took you a while to figure out that's the wrong hire, you potentially are going to be losing six to 12 months or even longer runway. And that's expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have always said, you know what? doesn't matter startup or large company, you should always be looking for talent, regardless of if, if you are hiring or not, or if you have headcount or not. Uh, the key is continuously uh, looking for identifying uh, top-notch talent. And once you need somebody, you have that pipeline ready for you to tap into. Yeah, there's this great podcast called Starting Greatness with, by Mike Maples Jr., who's a venture capitalist. Uh, I think Floodgate is the the VC. He's a really humble guy. In one of the episodes, he talks about everyone should have their awesome untapped talent list that they have in the you know in their phone or uh, you know writing on the back of their hand and you should be constantly adding to this list throughout your entire life because you never know when you're going to need to reach out to some of these people and go hey you know you're awesome you're talented like you know you're scrappy i let's talk i i i need someone like you yeah i think that's i totally agree i i, I heard about that podcast i never Listen to it, but I think that's, I totally agree on that. Um, you know, we are the average of the three uh, people we work with or social with. Uh, you want to have a great team of people that you can tap into. We're mm-hmm. in the people business. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you mentioned about uh, the, the CMO 2.0 uh, companies, maybe in the past 10 years, have focused less on the lifetime value of the customer or maybe not enough and more about just getting the customer. Can you expand upon that and, and what you mean by lifetime value? Yes. Uh, actually, uh, just uh, clarify one thing. Uh, I think a lot of those companies, they are focusing, focusing on lifetime value, which they're saying, hey, if I acquire a customer today in the next three years or four years, what is the total profit I'm mm-hmm. going to 
be able to make from those people. And based on that number, uh, if I spend, let's say, you know, in four years, that customer, the profit I'm getting from that person is uh, $40. Then upfront, I can spend four, up to $40 to acquire that customer and I am uh, break even, right? And if I spend less than $40, and that's actually going to be profitable. The problem for this is you're only going to be break even or be profitable in four years. So during the year one, year two, as you acquire the customers, uh, you are losing money. Uh, depends on you know how aggressive your marketing uh, program is. And the key thing here is last few years, I think we're all very much focused on growing the top line, acquiring customers, still based on some kind of LTV um, metrics. But in the very short term, you know, you're really not profitable because you're paying more upfront to acquire a customer down the road. So you have some unprofit companies out mm-hmm. there. But once a financial crisis hit, that's put a lot of pressure and stress onto those companies. So companies uh, need to be much more careful now. And the other thing, quite frankly, is COVID-19 uh, changed consumer behavior. So your projected LTV uh, is different now, right? Consumers might spend less and spend less frequently. So therefore, your forward-looking LTV become less. Uh, so that's also impact how you think about your marketing returns and the break-even point. Yeah, the, the, the visual that comes to my head is... Before COVID-19, the way companies, some companies might have operated is it's as if the, the, the outside world is this comfortable blanket. You know, maybe it's a, it's a weighted blanket and it, it like nurtures them and, and they, they, they operate like they're always going to have this warm blanket of an environment. But then suddenly that warm blanket turns into, I don't know, a space blanket that's not very comfortable and it doesn't really keep you warm. And they go, oh man, I just, I didn't expect this. You know, my environment changed so much and we feel different. It's affecting us differently and they have to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of people make a snap judgment about big companies operating and thinking about lifetime value and cost of acquiring customer differently. Maybe they don't even think about it compared to smaller companies. And given your experience of working uh, you know, at some pretty big companies and smaller companies, do you, do you think that snap judgment is true? Um, I think uh, it used to be the case. I think if you asked me the same question five or 10 years ago, I would say I'm surprised by some very large Fortune 500 companies don't really have a very solid grasp on LTV value mm. uh, calculation, maybe even today. But mm. I would say that more and more large organizations uh, start having that. Um, so LTV become uh, a more standardized uh, language uh, inside the large companies, the marketing department. Uh, I wouldn't say every large company has that, but I think that has improved over the last uh, few years. Yeah. I think so too. And also big companies have the ability to break down their marketing spend every year and still spend a, a sizable portion of money towards things like like paid marketing and many millions of dollars that give them a lot of leverage and buying power. Yes. And also uh, a company like PNG, for example, Potter Gamble, mm-hmm. they have traditionally a performance marketing budget, but then they also have a brand marketing budget. And yeah. in the performance dollars, they might be measured in a more 
analytical way, but the brand marketing dollar, they're much more qualitative in how they measure those things. So they have a much bigger budget to spend. So I, I, I noticed that you have a track record of working for great direct-to-consumer companies. Uh, I'd like to talk about that more if you don't mind. And, yeah, and, sure. You know, maybe we, so, so to list those off for the audience, I, you worked at, uh, one, you know, I guess someone could consider Amazon in some way a direct-to-consumer with the drop shipping, but you know, drugstore.com, uh, Vital Choice Seafood, you work at Rover right now. Uh, t- tell me about what, what draws you to direct-to-consumer. I think is the impact you make to uh, consumers, to people. Um, and also you think about it, you know, I've been lar- largely focused on e-commerce uh, in the health and the wellness space. That has always been kind of my, my passion. Even with Rover, um, there's a connection to pets. Is, you know, dog is our human's best friends, and that's contribute to the well-being uh, of, of, of us, right? So uh, I like the fact that uh, you can apply uh, direct marketing to introduce uh, new uh, product or services I believe in to the consumers and make impact on how they live, how they work, and uh, their lifestyle and their well-being. So, yeah, so I would say that has been a common theme of mine. I think in the future, I will continue to play in the wellness and health uh, space online. Um, and I think right now with COVID-19, there's a lot of uh, this, you know, you know uh, remote medicine and things like that. This space only going to get bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. You know, Vital Choice is a pretty interesting company. Could you describe that for us? Yeah, super interesting company. Started by a Alaska fisherman in 2000. Uh, at that time, uh, the uh, the fisheries in Alaska, uh, uh, the, the fishermen uh, were being uh, threatened by the commercial fishing industry. And uh, he also recognized there's an opportunity to sell uh, the most high-quality wild uh, salmon online. Uh, think about this is like the Omaha, this is like the equivalent of Omaha steak for, uh, for selling high-quality seafood online. Um, the company is super uh, highly socially responsible. Uh, they are a B Corp, which meaning that they donate a certain amount of uh, their profit to uh, socially responsible causes. All of their product they're selling, they are sustain- sustainably caught wild seafood. So there's no uh, farmed salmon uh, anywhere in their portfolio. Uh, over the years, they also got into uh, selling, for example, very high quality organic uh, beef, uh, pork, chicken. Mm. Here's a story. So they carry the Skagi River Ranch uh, Kobe beef. So mm. an entrepreneur here in Seattle literally imported the Japanese Wagyu or Japanese Kobe uh, cows to uh, Skagi Valley and raised those cows in a uh, very humane and organic way. And those beef are some of the most highest quality uh, beef anywhere uh, in the market. And uh, they have the exclusive online uh, rights to sell those products uh, online. Um, the, uh, this industry also, the supply chain is very complex because once you have the product to ship them, you have to ship them in uh, dry ice to keep mm-hmm. the temperature low. So it's very heavy. So the shipping logistic costs 
is very high. Mm-hmm. Also, from a purchasing perspective for inventory, um, this, it depends on the salmon season. Some year, you have a lot of salmon returning back to Alaska, so you have a good year. Some year, the fishery might not even be open in Alaska, so then you have less um, supply. So the supply is completely unpredictable. So, so uh, the, the the industry uh, is you know from a supply chain perspective, is very difficult to to manage. Um, uh, the other thing here is you know for example I launched uh, a subscription box called Vital Box when I was there. So it's similar to what Blue Apron is doing. So we can ship a box to you every month, every couple months. Those are some of the most health, uh, high quality wild seafood uh, you can get anywhere. It is a very high-end customer base because the average purchase price uh, was pretty high. However, uh, very healthy uh, omega-3 rich uh, product. That's really cool. Besides the Vital Box, what did marketing for for Vital Choice look like? You know, it's interesting, ask me. um, A very big lever is actually uh, a catalog. This Mm -hmm. is a Mm -hmm. paper-based catalog. Um, the company actually had huge success uh, for the past 10 to 15 years by leveraging a paper-based uh, catalog. And, uh, but then over years, uh, we have expanded to Google, uh, pay search, uh, Facebook ads, uh, social media, uh, Instagram, uh, sharing uh, recipes. Another uh, source has been very effective is actually trade shows. Uh, the company uh, does between 8 and 10 uh, trade shows, uh, you know, those are mostly medical-related uh, shows, and uh, so we actually have a cooking booth. So we cook mm. uh, salmon and share the food with the attendees, as well as um, provide sampling, and people can order product uh, at the booth, and that has a word-of-mouth effect mm-hmm. to promoting the product. And also because this is such a healthy product, uh, in those medical conferences. You have the doctors who become interested in the product, so they can introduce this uh, company and this brand to their patients. Yeah, I, I, more traditional channels like a paper catalog and trade show, I, I, I think, are progressively more underrated. Uh, the 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 more advanced marketing gets, because they they they're less glamorous. You know, they have less, they're less sexy, but they got a lot of power behind them, right? Yeah, I think the catalog has been something I'm learning. And I actually wrote an article uh, a couple of years ago on the Amazon uh, Kids catalog. So they, for the first time, Amazon started sending out a catalog for their uh, kids category. And mm-hmm. obviously, I have two uh, children. So mm-hmm. I was very interested in Amazon's marketing tactic. I thought that was really interesting. They started doing that. And I'm sure you know, Amazon is very savvy. So they probably have their vendors to pay for uh, the cost of producing the catalog. Um, and then the trade shows, I would say this is very expensive because you have to send your uh, infrastructure, right, your booth of your decoration uh, to, uh, to, to the, uh, the conference center. And also you need to bring sample product it's, and, and you send your people there. So it's expensive. Also, I think in the post-COVID-19 world, more and more uh, trade shows, uh, the scale will be cut. 
so it will become less effective, at least in the short term. What, what, what's your perspective on on marketing channel testing? Because uh, I, I imagine that some of the even maybe the paid paid search and Facebook was a was a test and experiment in itself. Yes, absolutely. I think you have to test everything. And uh, the, the, one of the most dangerous things for us as marketers is to make assumptions about uh, something will be working. Mm-hmm. Uh, but however, uh, I do think uh, one thing about testing is um, you can test a million things all the time. And your testing needs to start somewhere. You need a starting point for your testing. And the ability to figure out what the starting point is for testing I have found to be a very important uh, step in this process. I also think that's something requires a combination of uh, uh, data-driven analytical skills, but also uh, marketing intuition. And that's why uh, sometimes I'm worried our profession uh, are shifting too much into this direction of data-driven and analytics then we forget uh, there's certain component marketing still uh, requires this, what I call marketing intuition. Mm. Um, uh, it is still a skill set that I think is, is valuable uh, to identify. Do, do you have an example of that, of where someone might lean too much into the, the, the data science part of it and then lack the, the, the intuition? So let's say you want to improve your email marketing effectiveness. There are so many things you can do. You can test different kind of subject line. You can tweak your offers. You can tweak your creatives. You can improve on your conversion funnels and different things. And then even you test your subject line, there are different possibilities. You can have a uh, something is related to sense of urgency. You can have a subject line focused on a rich offer or something else. Now, there's an opportunity cost for every test. It is your time, mm-hmm. right? Because you could test 20, 30, 40 different variables. It takes you three months. Eventually, you figure out what is the right, what is working. Now, if you have a good intuition, say, you know what? I think that might be working uh, because it was, I've done this before in another company or I have seen this working in the industry. And I just kind of feel it should work here. And if you're more right than wrong on this kind of initial assumption, you can actually save your time from testing because mm-hmm. you are getting closer to the right answer. Now, that doesn't replace a comprehensive, thorough A-B testing framework, but the starting point of where you start is always interesting because it saves you time. And sometimes time is essence for performance marketing. So I, I always say marketing is about 70% data analytics, but mm-hmm. there is a 30, 20 to 30% is intuition needs to be there. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So, someone that we know, uh, Tom Sullivan, uh, he, he said to me once that, uh, you know, as you become better at, marketing some stuff really does become second nature and you know something he noticed in junior marketers and he was also giving me some feedback he's saying you know sometimes you rely so much on 
just the just the data, like just on the what, and you're not internalizing the why, and it's not subconscious for you yet. And I think that subconscious seeping is something that maybe it, it, it only comes with the experience of maybe the past company you worked at to go, you know what, affiliate marketing worked in at this marketplace company. It's we absolutely have to try it here. Trust me. Um, it's it's worth the shot, even if you 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 don't think it's true. So so I, maybe that's a good example too. Yes, I think that's a great um, example, and I think we both know Tom. And you know, I uh, he started as an intern uh, when I was working with him previously, and yeah, he's one of those guys who uh, also has that intuition in in addition to the analytic uh, horsepower. So exactly, I, I think Amen. that's a great example. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so we're we're near the end of the show. It's been really fun talking to you. I just have a couple last questions. So, Bill, where can we find you? Uh, well, I think uh, the best way you can uh, find me is go to my LinkedIn profile and uh, uh, connect with me. I love to talk to marketers, talking shop, and uh, share things. Always open to uh, connecting and uh, talking about marketing. So anytime uh, you guys want this, uh, just just go there, connect with me. That'll Wonderful. Be great. Thank you. And do you have any asks of the audience? And this could be for you personally or even for for, for Rover. Um, well, uh, first is, hey, I work for Rover. I believe that's you know, one of the best companies in Seattle or in the world. And if you're a pet parent, I would love you to try our services if you haven't. And uh, if you love um, uh, pet sitting, uh, join our uh, marketplace. Uh, it's a very fun but also fulfilling uh, side gig or set hustle to be a member of our sitter community. Um, secondly, I think uh, marketing is, is such an interesting, fascinating uh, field. So I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners uh, share my passion for this. So I uh, just wish everybody, you know, continue to learn. And I really feel we, the marketing profession has a great uh, future and I'd like to see we continue to evolve uh, you know, our common passion here. 100% agree. All right, Bill, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and hope to talk to you soon and see, cool. see you in person too. Yep, thank you. Thanks for listening to that two-part conversation with our guest. I really do hope I'm creating some value for you and making the journey of entrepreneurship a little less noisy, a little less lonely, and a little less stressful. Before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you liked what you heard, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card contest, which we're going to announce the winner of every other week. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. Go to the show, scroll to the bottom, and hit review. 10 seconds, 10 words, very easy, and be entered into a raffle for a $50 Amazon gift card, which we're gonna announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money, you gotta love that, and it's easy to do. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be amazing. Thanks and take care and good night.